right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. Great to see you in person and indoors, where it's cooler than the last time we met outdoors. Uh, it was slightly warm back then, and it is now time to be indoors in Houston. Um, it's great to see you. My name is Pastor Det. <laughs> no, actually, my, my brother's name is Dennis, and my mom used to call me Dead all the time because Ted and Dennis ended up being dead. Get your butt in here. So, um, so that kind of thing happened all the time. But Caleb, you're not the first one to do that. Um, well, today we are on our final message uh, in a series on the topic of calling. So we've been talking about calling for the last two months. We've been listening to the Spirit of God as we've tried to understand what God is asking us to do in this life and in this world. We've been talking about this verse from Ephesians chapter 2, which says that God has prepared us for good works. And uh, we are learning to be more in touch with that, listening to examples from Scripture, listening to how that might be playing out in our time and in this moment today. And today for our final message in this series, we're going to be talking about work and rest work and rest. Now that might sound like a kind of a funny topic for us to to land on as our final one for a series on the topic of calling and work because well what does rest have to do with that? Well, it's very important for us to add this to the conversation because that's exactly how God talks about it. When we read through the narrative of scripture, we realize that rest is something that God is very concerned about it. In fact, he made it number four in the top ten list, right? The, the Great Commandments, number four is all about rest. So we're going to get into the specifics of it today. We're going to be talking about a uh, story specifically in the Gospel of Luke. We'll go through some of the details, and then we'll talk about three things. Number one, uh, one of the great enemies of good work, which we are prepared to do. Uh, how does rest address, address that problem of uh, of that enemy, and then how do we practice this well? And then we'll have some time to pray at the very end. But let's dive right into this story and talk about the dynamics. So that's our theme verse. Just for reminders, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we're moving on into Luke chapter 10, verse, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha appeared, um, opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat uh, at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and, a- and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we are introduced to a couple characters, to Mary and Martha. And they are sisters. And to kind of set this up, we understand that Martha is really taking on the traditional role of what a 
you know, first century woman in that time would have done. She was the hospitable host. She was taking care of making sure that the house was clean, that people had food and water and well cared for. And, and that's something that many of us here are very used to, right? Uh, many of us here in Texas are familiar with Southern culture and Southern hospitality. Now, I am a transplant from California. I moved here in 1999, and most certainly one of the things that I experienced right away when I came here to Houston was an uptick in the friendliness level. Now, um, I don't know who else is here from California, but California, even though I thought of it as a great place to be, I mean, Texas has it hands down in terms of friendliness, you know. And when I go back to visit California, I sometimes marvel at the fact that I thought it was a friendly place to begin with. I'm like, Houston definitely has that down. Second of all, we here understand that hospitality is important because many of us are from Asian cultures. And we had this modeled in our households growing up, right? Having guests over and making them feel comfortable and well-fed and have drinks, well, that's... That's standard operating procedure. If you don't do that, you, you haven't lived up to your potential as, as an Asian American. So <laughs> that's what I heard growing up. So Martha is doing that same exact thing. We understand where she's coming from, but her sister is doing something very different. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's listening to his teaching and not helping with the hospitality. So, this is really weird. I've actually studied this passage for many decades, and it was probably within the last decade that, you know, new insights have kind of come my way through this. Um, Namely, N.T. Wright talks about how Mary has taken on the role of a disciple and the position of a disciple sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, back in the first century, most rabbis wouldn't let this happen. In fact, they thought it was a disgrace for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi to learn and to listen. Jesus is upending that and welcoming her in that place and giving her a a space to listen to his teachings and actually defending her right to be there. So this is very unusual. Now, May we reach the problem of the passage. And the problem is this. Because Mary isn't helping, Martha feels alone in the whole hospitality business, and she feels like this. I don't know if some of you are in that role oftentimes at home where you're wondering if the other members of the household or the family are going to help you out. You're working on things, you're doing things, you're busy, and other people are not concerned, (laughs) Uh, and you feel alone in that. That's exactly what Martha is feeling. And so here we reach the traditional telling of the problem, and the traditional telling of the problem is this, and that's too small for my eyes. So I've been struggling. That's why I struggled (laughs) the first time reading through this scripture, and I'm going to make the fonts bigger in the future. So (laughs) the problem is Martha bad, Mary, good. (laughs) Don't be Martha. Don't be busy with your work. Be spiritual like Mary. Be relational like Mary. Okay, good. I made it through that. I'm pretty sure I remember those words. So oftentimes we hear this, and sometimes we even say this, well, don't be a Martha, or Martha is like this type of person. And that's very difficult for someone who's 
trying to follow what is culturally good, and even what Jesus says is often good, because hospitality ranks really high biblically, right? So, is this really what we learn from Luke chapter 10? And I would contend the answer is not quite. This is missing the mark by just a little bit. Consider the following things. So, consider that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he went to this upper room with his disciples, and then he got down, took off his outer garment, and washed his disciples' feet. And he said that one of the top things to be concerned about, if you follow Jesus, is to be a servant, to do something, to work and serve other people. Service ranks really high in Jesus' list of things to be concerned about. Isn't that what Martha is doing? Kind of, right? Consider this. Okay, so this is an extreme example. You don't always want to be relational, and you don't want all the people around you always to be relational. So let's say the worst happened. You know, let's just say your home somehow caught on fire. You called the, uh, the number 911. You asked for fire <laughs> people to come help. They show up at your door, and they're relational. They ask you, hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know, how's your day? You don't want them to be relational. You want them to be on task to do their job. You have all the time in the world to be relational later. They need to take care of the problem. Some of us are in that position in life, and that requires you to be busy at times, right? Get busy, get on the job. And then finally, this is less of an extreme example, but years ago, Amy and I were uh, having a lunch with a friend, and she was a young mom, she had young kids, and we were sitting at a picnic table, not unlike that one there, except the setting was a little different. We were on concrete. Now, one of her children was sitting next to her, and as we were talking, I think that child forgot that picnic tables don't have backings. So she just decided to lean back and celebrate and was falling over. And in the middle of speaking, our friend didn't miss the beat, just went around, grabbed this child by the shirt and saved this child's head like inches from the floor. I was completely amazed. Amy was amazed. Our friend was amazed. She didn't know she had it in her. She was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and she was on high alert because as a young parent, sometimes you need to be busy with protecting your children. Now, I share all of that today just to say, is this exactly what Luke 10 is teaching us? Don't be Martha, be Mary. If you apply that systematically and all the time, it doesn't quite work. So what's the real problem, and what is Jesus getting at? The true problem is actually found in the text itself, and these are nice big fonts. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. And this, this is kind of a, a term of endearment. He's saying to her gently, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. The problem is highlighted. It's a problem 
of worry and being upset. It's a problem of disposition, of attitude. It's a problem that is within the soul, a hurried soul, you might say. And this is one of the great enemies of work. The enemy of good work, one of the great enemies of good work, is hurry. It's a problem and a disposition of the heart that wants to do more and more things and is anxious and upset about many things. Now, I'm going to go back in time for a little bit. I quoted this article like several months ago, but what I find is some of these things need a retelling. I need them because I quickly forget, especially when these are (laughs) some of my problems. Um, This comes from a leadership article that was um, printed long ago about a pastor talking to his spiritual director, and he writes this. Not long ago, after moving to Chicago, I called a wise friend to ask for some spiritual direction. I described the pace of life in my current ministry. The church where I serve tends to move at a fast clip. I also told him about our rhythms of family life. We are in the van driving, soccer league, piano lesson, school-oriented night years. I told him about the present condition of my heart as best as I could discern it. What did I need to do? I asked him to be spiritually healthy. I don't know if you can relate to this. I definitely can relate with especially driving. Um, It's picked up (laughs) exponentially in the last month. Long pause. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He said at last, another long pause. Okay, I've written that one down. I told him a little impatiently. That's a good one. Now, what else is there? I had many things to do, and this was a long-distance call, so you can understand this is an older article. Uh, So I was anxious to cram as many units of spiritual wisdom into the least amount of time possible. Another long pause. There's nothing else, he said. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I've concluded that my life and the well-being of the people I serve depends on following his prescription. For hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Hurry destroys souls. So, I repeat this because I feel like as we are moving from pandemic, you know, phase red alert to vaccinated medium alert, uh, maybe not so mask wearing uh, scenarios to whatever is else, whatever else is coming this summer, life is picking up. I've noticed the traffic is picking up near my house. I've been stuck in track, uh, in, in, uh, in rush hour again, which came back really quickly, you know. Um, And I feel that pace of life picking up again. And I feel this hurry up mode that I'm being pressed into. So what is hurry? Hurry is living with a sense of anxiety and worry. It is about trying to do more things in less time. It is stress and anxiety that comes from this fear about our lives. It is an attitude and a frame of mind. 
So, quick diagnostic. Are you in a state of hurry? Are you constantly looking to hurry things up, hurry the people around you, asking them to, to move it along a little? I was at Academy yesterday, and for some reason, the cash register just, the guy was there for a long time helping one customer. They had to do a price check or something. And I just was watching the lanes by me just go by and by. And you know that experience, it's just so frustrating. Are you in a, st- a state of hurry? Are you constantly trying to hurry things along? Yeah, I did switch lanes and I got to another lane after that to get out of that. Do you feel like you must multitask? I am a horrible multitasker, and when I feel the need to do it, I know my work quality dips very quickly. Is your life cluttered? Well, whether I'm hurried or not, this is a perennial problem for me, but some of you have maybe noticed that the clutter has gone up because you don't have time to put things away, and clutter oftentimes accompanies a hurried life. And here are some two deeper questions. Do you struggle with superficial relationships? Like you don't have time to talk, to get to know people, to spend time in conversation, to go deeper with them? Are you able to love? Perhaps this is the most deep question we need to wrestle with because at the heart of what Jesus calls us to do is love God and love neighbor. And if we don't have the time to be with other people, how do we love them? Question now is, Number two, how does rest address hurry? This is the part that we struggle with. And even if I've given messages on rest before, this is the the part that we really wrestle with because we don't understand it. That rest requires some intentionality. It requires us to make some choices and some changes in life. So in the scriptures, God created the world in six days. This is part of the creation narrative in the Bible. And it is often... Known by scholars, it is oftentimes said by scholars, that the other creation narratives of the time, the Babylonians and the others, also had their own creation narratives, and the biblical creation narrative was given as a counterpoint to those other stories. And one thing that you will notice when you read those other stories is that humanity and work have an odd relationship. Namely, the gods don't want to work. Because work is hard, it's sweaty, it's taxing. Humanity is given work because the gods don't want to do it. It's too much. And they want a force to be able to deal with the work of the world. Not so with the biblical narrative. Here you have a God who creates. He loves to work. He loves to create. And then he takes a break. It's not because he's tired. God is God, he's infinite, but he also knows the value of rest. And he sets this day apart as holy and as sacred, and he invites creation to do it too. Humanity is given the blessing of work, to care for this world and one another. It is a joy to work under the calling of God. That's our whole series. But it is also a joy to take time to rest. On the seventh day, God stopped working. He made this day holy. God rested. He invites you and he invites me to enter into this rest. How does this work? Once a week, 
we put down our work and we are reminded of who we really worship. Not money, not our position or title, not the wealth that comes our way through this world. We worship the true God and we follow after Him. One day a week, we come to worship. I'm reminded of this day of rest where labor is put in its proper place. It is not the thing you do because you're anxious about your life. You are given your work by a God who will take care of you. Consider the birds. Consider all of creation. We have this amazing God who takes care of the birds of the field and the beauty of his creation. Will he not also take care of you? Once a week, we put down our work to be reminded of our ultimate identity, which is not who our boss says we are or what our workplace tells us we are or not because we have earned some title, but because we are a child of God. We are reminded of what is true and what is good. So, moving to our final phase here. How can we rest well? How do we do this in a way that makes sense? How can we rest well? Number one, three tips here. Make an intentional start to begin your time of rest. Now, in the next month, starting in July, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical for a month. Uh, Many of you who've been here for a long time know that July is usually my sabbatical month. I didn't take one last year because, well, I was stressed and worried about this virus. Um, And I had nowhere to go and I couldn't rest. This year, I am making an intentional start. I have a time to start, a time to end. Having an intentional start to this is really important. For those of you who can take one day a week to do so, I highly encourage you to make an intentional start. So when I take a day off of the week, what do I do to make sure that the time is intentional? When I open my Bible app and I sit down with my breakfast, I make coffee and I have it all before me. I'm reading scripture, I'm drinking coffee, I'm having my breakfast, whether it's cereal or toast, whatever it is, my Sabbath time starts when I meet with the Lord for breakfast. I love it, you know, and I encourage you to have some kind of ritual where you begin. I, for a short time, I was uh, a vocational group leader at Fuller Seminary Houston, where Michael uh, leads, um, and where some of you attend and some of you uh, find uh, additional academic resources. One of the things that they encourage you to do, if you are in that program, is to make an intentional start to a Sabbath time. And this looks like this. They encourage you to light a candle and to say this prayer. I'm going to invite us all to to just recite this together. It's, It's kind of a prayer. It's more like an intention on your part. So let's read this out loud together. As I light this candle, our time of Sabbath begins. For this time, we will lay down our work, worries, cares, and concerns. We will cease striving and receive the rest that God has commanded us to take. He is the creator. We are his creation. Let us receive his gift of rest and restoration and honor him. Oh, amen. Isn't that great? So you can go back. You can look at the slide later. Take a photo of that if that helps you to make a big start. Um, secondly, 
safeguard your rest time with boundaries. So one thing that I like to do for my um, time of rest, and I'm, I used to be really rigid when I started taking days off. Uh, I'm a little bit more loose now, but I would make sure that I don't check my emails because once I do, an hour will pass, you know, Amy and I walk by and I'm like, what am I doing? It's my day off. I've been here working for an hour and I don't realize that. And, and so there are certain things that just get me right into it. Sitting at my desk, number one, that, that's like, that's like a, a quick trigger to get me right back into work. Um, I have a friend who, when she was learning to do this, she would take her laptop, which she was glued to all week long. She would stick it on the top of her bookcase and then walk away. And until the sun was down, she wouldn't, take, she wouldn't get to her laptop. This was to make sure she was present with her husband and her children. Uh, that was important for her. So safeguard your rest time with boundaries. For you, it might look different. Maybe it's not your phone. Maybe it's something else. But have some boundaries. And finally, write down the things that make you worried or anxious. Because this is what leads to hurry. Jot them down. So part of this ritual that you might have on a Sabbath day is keep a journal next to your side. And when you're praying and you are all of a sudden worried about work and that project and what your boss told you and the thing you got to do tomorrow, write it down on the journal and just say, I'm releasing to God my worry for today. And then get back to what you're trying to do with God. Next time something comes up, go back to the journal. I got this to worry about. My plumbing is a problem in the house. Some of us are still dealing with repairs that weren't fixed since the freeze. I have one more repair to do, and it is like a thorn in my side. I finally made the call last week to work on some of that. But anyhow, you know what that worry is like. Jot it down. This belongs to God for today. I'm going to rest. So we're going to do that really quickly right now. I'm going to do this for one minute with you. I don't have pen and paper for you, but I'm going to give you one minute of silence. And during that time of silence, you're going to think about the next thing. You're going to be thinking about what you need to worry about. It just pops up. It always does. And when you do that, I want you to say a simple prayer. I want you just to give it to God. Say, God, I know you have this. Or God, Please take my worry about you fill in the blank. We'll do this for one minute just to get you started because this is how we enter into rest. Let's begin right now.
quick minute. You may have found your brain is hurried at this date. I just wanted to let you know, there's no guilt or shame over that. If you feel hurried, if you're finding yourself distracted and you couldn't even get into it, that's totally okay. This is a journey, and for some of you, learning to move into this mode where you can rest and release things to God may take years, but it is a blessing. That's how God wants you to think about it. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for humanity. So receive it as Jesus frames it. I want to call out a couple of discussion questions before we go today uh, about the passage and then about the hurry. So make sure if you want to just snap a picture of that, I won't read it all. but You can do that. These are for you to take home, to have discussions with your family, your household, from young to old. You can all talk about these different dynamics that we need. So um, make sure we'll have these running in the loop maybe afterwards too. Uh, as we wrap up today, I'd like to pray for us, and then I'll give us a few words as we get going. But let's, let's pray um, and commit ourselves to God. A simple prayer as we end, Lord God. Please lead us into rest. We receive your gift and we go with gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's say our sending prayer together. So let's all stand together. Loving God. Through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we meet partners and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. Before you go today, a couple of quick words. We're celebrating because this is our first time indoor worshiping together again. So we have popsicles as a gift. Make sure to get a popsicle, cool off, make sure you enjoy that. For our fathers and father figures, we have a special gift of root beer for you. We can't give it out next week because we won't be meeting in person, but feel free to take that. And if there's some leftovers, please bring them to a father figure that you've appreciated over and just say, this is a gift for you. We'd love for you to bless other people. And finally, if you are newer to our access community, we'd love to spend time meeting and getting to know you. We'll be in the lobby area, so you can meet some of our staff or just anybody, really. So go in peace, everybody. We'll see you soon.